And, and so I, I think as far as somebody that's stuck, if they know what their goal is, that's it. Just go ahead and fail at it. Don't, don't think that that first race you run is going to go well or that first draft is going to sound good. It, it probably isn't. Whatever it is that you want to try that you're afraid of, go ahead and take that next step and just expect it to not go like you planned, but at least you've done something. Hello, you are listening to the Late Bloomer Living Podcast, and I am Yvonne Marchese, your host. This week, I am talking with the author Jill Hannah Anderson, who published her first book at the age of 57. Before you go further, I'm going to read you a bit from an article I read that got me interested in Jill's story to begin with. So first, let me, let me give you some background. In January of this nutty year, um, Melissa Hunter, who is a television writer and producer, she posted the following to Twitter, and it went viral. She said, at the end of 2020, instead of 30 under 30 and next gen list, please profile middle-aged people who just got their big breaks. I want to read about a mother of two who published her first novel, the director who released their first studio feature at 47. That's the list we want. When, when I read that, I was like, yes, that's exactly the list I want too. So Jill was one of many people who responded to that Twitter post. And here's what she said. My first book was published when I was 57, second at 58, and now at age 60, working on revisions for book number three. Also, I didn't start running until after I turned 45, averaged 1,000 miles a year for several years. Hashtag never too old, hashtag never too late, hashtag never give up, hashtag dream big, hashtag work hard. Man, I love that. So anyway, the article that brought Jill to my attention, just for your information, it was published in Board Panda, which is like an online website magazine type thing. Um, it was published about five months ago, and the title of it was 40 Wholesome Middle-Aged Success Stories. Uh, I will make sure to get a link to that put in the show notes so you can check out some of the other awesome stories that are in that article, because there's a lot of them. Um, but I just wanted to give you the background on how I found Jill and how happy I am that I did. And without further ado, here's my conversation with her. Hello. <laughs> Hi, Yvonne. Thanks Hi, for having Jill. me here. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for being here. I'm, I'm super excited. Me too. Super me excited. Too. Um, so I found you, as you know, I found you through a Board Panda article that a friend sent to me because she knew I was doing this late bloomer living um, project podcast. And uh, she, she sent it off to me and said, hey, this is full of people with really cool midlife success stories. Check it out. And I found you and uh, got really interested in, in your story. I, I thought it was really interesting. You, you published your first novel at 57. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, I signed with the publisher. Uh, well, I must have been 56 because it was the year before they uh, published my first book. So yes. Gotcha. So it took about a year to kind of get through the process. Through the edits and yeah, um, about a year and a half before it came out. Okay, cool. Wow. So I guess what I really wanted to know, what, what got me curious was wondering what 
was the journey that brought you to publishing a first novel at the age of 57? That, that's really what got me curious, you know? I'm a late bloomer. <laughs> and and <laughs> I, in fact, I, I used to be on this running website where you could keep track of your miles and my, uh, my hashtag name on there was better late than never, uh -huh. uh, which to also applied to my running. But as far as my writing, what happened was, well, first of all, we had, um, I worked full time, we had two children, we had a business. Uh, so there was absolutely, you know, no me time, which is typical, you know, for mothers. I just happened to start being a mother at a young age. So basically from the, you when you had your kids, I, w I got married at 20. Uh -huh. Our first daughter was born five days before our first anniversary. So I got pregnant almost right away. Uh -huh. Um, so I was 21 when I had her, I had a, um, miscarriage at 23 and then my second daughter at 24 and at 22 we bought a business that was open seven days a week a minimum of 12 hours a day oh. and our house was attached to the the store so there was just there was no time yeah. between children and the business anyway that was in my early years and um and actually we had it most of the time until my late thirties. And then that's when I went through a divorce. And so I was still working full-time. And then I also was working part-time. I went back to waitressing, which I hadn't done since I was in high school. I was 39 when I started doing that. And I remember Ooh, thinking, I remember thinking, oh, I'm, work. I'm too old for this at the time that seemed old, but you know, I hadn't done it for over 20 years. Yeah. And I did it from 16 to 19 off and on along with other jobs. But so I waitress when I was 39, 40, 41. And I just remember thinking, oh, I'm too old. Mostly because I was working full time. So I would literally go from my day job, drive right to the restaurant that was open at night and weekends. Anyway, so that kind of, you know, that brought me into my early 40s. There was just no me time, which again, happens to a lot of mothers. And your um, kids were teenagers at that point? At that point, yes. They, and my oldest one had just gone off to college. Yeah. And then the other one was in high school. Uh, so any, I never even once thought about, oh, you know, what do you want to do in life, Jill? Because it was just basically, I need to put food on the table and keep a roof over our head. You know, that it was yeah. just being a mom. which Just getting through. Yeah, just yeah. the typical things. So then, um, then I got remarried, which then I didn't have to work the second job. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> uh, and then between us, we had six kids. So the first summer we were married, uh, we had five kids living at home with us that first summer. And I'm like, ah, wow. <laughs> but, it, but it was a great adjustment. And, and they were teenagers on up, you know, a couple of them were in college and home for the summer. So anyway, what happened was it wasn't until the youngest um, went off to college that, you know, we didn't have any band concerts, any sporting events, you know, the things that, yes, they were in college, but we weren't going to them two or three nights a week like they, like we were when they were in high school. Right. And that's when I finally was able to sit down. I had made up this list when I was going through my divorce. I remember sitting on my bed and 
thinking I, I don't even know what I want to do in my life. You know, you're, you're depressed. Obviously there's, there's no such thing as a good divorce. I don't think so you're, you have all these emotions anyway. And it was really like, we had sold our business. I, my oldest went off to college. I remember going to church one day and I'm crying in church. And I thought everybody around me must think I'm losing it, but it was just so much going on in my life at, at that time. And anyway, I, I sat on my bed and thought, okay, Jill, what do you want to do? You, you are now going to have some time free, which hadn't happened to me for years. And I, I remember I made a list of five things and I can't, re I wish I would have kept that list because I can't remember what the other three things were, but I know that one of them was I wanted to try running and I wanted to try writing. I had taken writing classes in high school and I, I loved it, but that was it. Never did anything with it. So fast forward about five years later, when um, my youngest stepdaughter went off to college and had this, I had this time how I got into writing was there was um, a magazine, a Minnesota women's magazine. It's called Her Voice. And their motto was written by women, for women, about women. And I had seen it a couple times and I had these ideas for these women that I knew of that I, I was very inspired by. And I thought, well, I could interview them and see if, if, this magazine would take it. Well, so I went and I pitched my ideas to the editor and, and she said, yep, you know, give it a shot and I'll see what I think. And, and she liked both of them. I ended up writing for that magazine for 10 years and wrote um, over 30 articles and stories for them. So that's how I got back into the writing. Wow. And literally I look back, um, there was a, a five month period in my life. I was 46. That's when I feel like everything really changed for me. So the youngest was off in college. Um, my oldest daughter was getting married. She got married at the beginning of June. My youngest daughter was graduating from college, graduated in May. I had just started running and I had my first half marathon. And I was just had just started bartending <laughs> and I was still working full time. Oh my so gosh. I just started bartending to help pay for the kids in college and upcoming weddings. And I was um, hosting a 50th wedding anniversary party for my parents. And this all happened within five months. And I remember thinking, <laughs> you have lost your mind, Joel. <laughs> I was just thinking that. Oh, my oh and, I, and I had committed to these magazine articles. My goodness. It was all, it all happened from April to the first weekend in September um, when I was 46. Oh. And I'm sweating just thinking about it. <laughs> I, I just look back and think, I can't believe, I'm sure my husband didn't like me very much because I'm sure I was just like, ah, but, but the reason I'm bringing up is it was a positive thing for me because when it was all done, I kind of looked back and thought, I did that. I, I mean, I had never planned on bartending. So the story behind that was my husband, both, both of us worked full time. He also had a part-time job. And um, because of all these things with our kids, mm -hmm. um, I said, I sh I'll go get a part-time job too. And so I had gone to the local bar and restaurant and said, well, you know, do you need a hostess? 
because I know how to, I, the only thing I do is open a beer <laughs> and make a drink that has two ingredients. It tells you what, what the drink is. Right. And, and the owner knew me. She goes, no, Jill, I think you'd make a great bartender. I said, I, I can't do, I don't know anything about drinks. She pushed me into it and I loved it. Yeah. I loved it. It was hard those first few months, but the other bartenders kind of took me under the wings because they were a lot younger. And I'm sure they thought, oh, you old lady, you know, at the time I seemed old to them, uh -huh. but um, I loved it. I love, because I love being around people and it got me uh, away from sitting at a desk, which I did during the day at my day job. Anyway, the reason I'm bringing up that whole part is if somebody would have told me at age 46 that I would start bartending, I would have laughed. Mm -hmm. If somebody would have told me at age 46, I would have gone from starting to run less than a year before to running a half marathon, which is 13.1 miles. I would yeah. have said no way. Yeah. That's and if a some, jump. yeah. And if somebody would have told me, Oh, you're, and you're also going to write for a women's magazine. I mean, it was just all those things that, what, what that five month period did was it gave me the confidence mm -hmm. that I needed that I didn't have before that. That was a total rebirth. I mean, it was my gosh, that's, it was. Yeah. And in my first book, one of the people that I put in my acknowledgements and she was surprised was the editor of the magazine. I thanked her because I said, you know what, if, if you would have shot down those okay. first stories that I wrote, I would have never, ever tried to write a book yeah. because I wouldn't have had the confidence for yeah. it. Somebody else told me I could write and that's what I needed to hear. I think confidence comes from, it isn't, I think people misunderstand confidence and they think that, oh, you just have it or you don't. Um, and I think it's really a muscle that, that you have to work. Mm -hmm. And when you, for me, especially, I don't get confident about doing something until I've done it a good bit. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, when I started, um, I had a kind of a similar thing where I, be, when I became a photographer, it literally came out of nowhere. I knew nothing about operating a big camera and my first photo shoots. Oh my gosh. I was so nervous, uh, you know? And every single session that I ever did, I would come home and tell my husband, I learned so much. I, mm -hmm. I all the things I did wrong, all the, you know, and, uh, and as it, as it, as the years went by and I had done session after session, sometimes now I'll have a session and I'll be like, oh my gosh, I have a session tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> right. I better <laughs> make sure my batteries are charged and, d d d you know, and, and start ticking off. Oh, I got to get ready for that. But it's not the same. Like I would obsess over an upcoming session when mm -hmm. I first started, you know, and it's just that muscle. of Yes. It. So you just dive, you dove right in. Well, and it wasn't, you know, I had never once planned for all of that to happen at once. I mean, yeah, it just, it, it was like everything hit at once. But I think you, you hit it exactly right when you said that you, you did things wrong along the way. That, mm -hmm. And I don't know if I had sent you this quote before, but around the time I was going through a divorce, I, um, one of the work conferences that I went to had this motivational speaker. And they, they said, okay, I'm going to have, 
asked you, and I think it might have been after that that I went home and wrote that list. But what she said was, I'm going to uh, tell you a quote. What would you do if you knew you could not fail? And I don't, I don't know who originated the quote. That made a huge, that same quote. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's a big one. That's a good yeah. one. And Say I don't know. What again. would you do if you knew you could not fail? Mm -hmm. And I don't know what I wrote on my piece of paper at the conference, but I think that might've been when I went home and made that list because writing and, and running were two things. And, and the thing is, like, I think about when I started running uh, I it was in the winter time so I started on our treadmill in the basement well nobody can see me there so there was no expectations right. well then when it got nice enough the next spring and I had signed up for my first race I thought well I have to run outside to see if for some reason I thought oh I'm not gonna be able to run outside only on the treadmill mm -hmm. so I would drive to this road that nobody you know other than a few houses on there and I would run there because I live in a small town and I was so worried that if somebody saw me running, they'd have this expectation of, oh, you're a runner. Right. And now I'm going to expect to see you running. Right. So I, I ran back and forth on that road until I was comfortable enough to, okay, yeah, I ran, you know, a few miles, I can do this race. And, and then I was going to call it good. But um, it was that whole feel, fear of failure. And I had yeah. to get past that. And I kept on thinking of that quote, like, Jill, so what if, if you, somebody sees you run one time and they never see you run again, you didn't fail at running. You tried, you know, and it was the same thing with my writing. Um, I, I probably in my twenties and thirties would have never even approached an editor of a magazine to say, Hey, can I pitch these ideas to, you, you know, I just, but I remember thinking, well, so, you know, if she says no, at least I asked. Right. It's a guaranteed no if you don't ask. Right. Yep. You know? And so yeah. that that um, quote really stayed with me and, and went back to that period. And, you know, when I was 46, 47 of, well, I'm going to do these things. And, and the same thing with bartending. Well, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. One of the young bartender guys, he had been there forever. And, and he's probably, I think he's about 15 years younger than me. So he, you know, in his early thirties at the time. And I remember I'd been there about six months and we were washing, cleaning up the bar at the end of the night. And he turned to me, he goes, you know, Jill, I'm almost always right about when they hire people and he said but i have to tell you i was wrong about you he goes i didn't think you'd last three months and um i said well i only lasted you know for years because of the help i got from them but i i remember thinking too oh well if if it wouldn't have worked out it wouldn't work out but i would have at least given it a try mm -hmm. and i think that 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 fear of failure is more prevalent in us when we're younger we're so worried about what other people think mm that I feel like that's, uh, that's part thinking of it's the opposite lately, but you may be right because I held myself back from doing a lot of stuff when I was younger, because I was like, I'm too young. Nobody will mm -hmm. take me seriously. Who am I? I haven't done it before. Why would, you know? Yeah. I, uh, yeah. The older I get, the less I care. I mean, not that I don't care what people think. I, I do care, but I think, 
you kind of get to that point where you realize, well, I only have so many years left. Mm -hmm. And and if I really want to try something, um, I have, you know, I have this extreme fear of heights and I make myself like last year I went zip lining with my daughters and I've gone mm. rock climbing and I've gone parasailing and I hate it when I do it, but I'm, I'm always glad afterwards that I've done it, you know? Yeah. So sometimes just pushing yourself to do something out of your comfort zone. Um, Huge. One of the articles I wrote for this women's magazine uh, was called running down the dream kind of after the, the Tom Petty song, yeah, but, but it was kind of talking about my journey of, you know, this goal of running one mile went into running many, you know, long races and stuff, but it was just basically about chasing your dreams. And after the art, the story came out, one of the women in our, our community, well, at the time she was in her late seventies, cause she's almost 90 now came into the office where I work. And she said, I just have to tell you, Jill, that article changed how I look at things. And I remember thinking, my gosh, you're, you're, I changed it because she's a, a spunky little lady. And one of the things was she had always wanted to be in a play. And she said, you know what, there's a play that was in, in a town not too far from us. And she said, I'm going to try out for it. And, and she ended up being in it. Great. And I always think about that. I think I can't believe that somebody that age finally, and then she sent me a thank you note. Oh my gosh. I'm like, okay, if that was just one person, but you know, <laughs> well, I mean, that just kind of makes you realize how, how easy it is for us to tell ourselves, oh, you can't do that. Right. And I think her name is Donna. I think she realized, well, why can't I, why can't I try out for it? Mm -hmm. but yeah I think so that's good. kind of the difference of as we get older but so for me when when one of the things I'm going back to the the tweet that's why everything happened later for me because of children and a business and working one or well, two jobs most of the time and then that whole fear of failure thing kind of being pushed aside mm -hmm. um and then also the, the mentor, at least for the writing part of it, again, going back to the magazine, if she wouldn't have, and then, and then after that, she would, if I didn't have an idea, she would say, you know, hey, do you want to go interview this person or write about them? And, and so it was during that time. So then leaping from there to, uh, and I would even have guys in the bar. Well, I, so I'm writing for the magazine, bartending, and then working full time. And I would even have men say that they read the articles, which I was surprised. I'm like, nice. really? And, and they go, yeah, you know, my wife was reading it and said, hey, oh, look at this is the bartender that wrote, you know. But um, while I was writing them uh, was when my best friend of 30 years, she had had cancer when she was 30. She had a rare form of leukemia and she was able to, to battle it. And then um, she got sick again. Mm. <clears throat> and so I pretty much knew I was going to lose her. And then that's when the idea of my first book came about. I was um, wondering, because I've started reading it and I'm enjoying it very much. Uh, and I was wondering how much of that was autobiographical. Um, yeah, thank goodness 
thank goodness a lot of it isn't, but mm -hmm. uh, that's where the, the germ of the idea came from because there's, uh, her name was Donna. She, she did end up passing away while I was writing the book. Um, but her, we had been friends since I first moved to our small town back in 82. We met right away and just clicked. And then uh, years later, we met these two other women that we would do a lot of, uh, a lot of things with. So even though I had other groups of friends, I did a lot with those three women. We'd take trips together and just everything. Anyway, so when she got sick again was when I kind of asked myself, oh my gosh, what would I do if I lost this whole group of friends? And that's when the idea for the story came about. Mm -hmm. you know, was Peyton loses her three best friends in the car accident. I mean, it happens right away. And that's your book, um, To Hell, The To Hell and Back Club. Yes. Right? I love yep. the title. And, and kind of tying in um, my life to that, the whole afterwards, when I went through my divorce was when I really realized how important my friends were. You kind of take them for granted. I mean, not that I feel like I took them for granted, but you just always feel like, well, they're always going to be there. And I don't have any sisters. I have three brothers. So for me, my friends, you know, mm -hmm. really stepped that. up. Yeah. And so that dark, horrible time in my life, I could not have, I can't imagine how I would have gotten through it without them. And that's really kind of what made me think about the book of, you know, I, because Peyton, the main character, goes through a divorce and then she loses her support system. So she has nobody to turn to. I have her, you know, she has a sister, but I throw the sister in Texas, which is where my older brother lives. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so I, I had to make it difficult for her to have any support system so that she turns to this, to Helen Back Club mm -hmm. group of women. And, and then they're the ones that help pick her up. But it really was... Um, an important thing in my life to realize when, when I was really down and out, how much you rely on your friends and whether your friend is your sister or somebody from high school, you know, whoever, like I, I am the only one. So I went to high school in the twin cities in Minneapolis, St. Paul. And then my family moved away three weeks after I graduated from high school. I was devastated <laughs> and I had to move with them because I was 17 and they wouldn't let me stay there. So all of my friends from high school still live in the St. Paul, Minneapolis area. And I see them quite a bit because we have, we have kids down there and grandkids. Um, but I still connect with them, but they weren't close by. Yeah. You know, like this. Yeah. We're, oh, um, I am two and a half hours north. Okay. Of so the Twin Cities. Far enough to make a big yes. difference. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So yeah. I do go see them, you know, and I can go down like next weekend, I'm going to go down and do a day trip to mm -hmm. see our kids. But um, as far as the support, the daily, weekly support with um, my divorce, and that was back before we didn't have cell phones. I mean, we had cell phones, but they were not like now, you know, you didn't have that social media connection or, or Zoom or anything like that. So I really counted on my friends that were here in town. And, and that also played into my first book, the, which is basically what it's about, the importance of, of a support group and your friendships. Yeah. Yeah. My, I mean, just, we haven't even talked about COVID-19 <laughs> and, 
and you know this whole shutdown and I can't imagine um I mean I think the saving grace for my kids and for everybody is being able to get on a a FaceTime call or a Zoom call and connect mm -hmm. with somebody. I mean, right now you and I are on a Zoom call. I can see your face. Oh my gosh, what a difference it makes uh, you yes. know, to, to be able to see the person you're talking to. Even it, it's a poor approximation um, when you really just want to give somebody a hug, but pretty mm -hmm. amazing. Right. Yes. And that, thank goodness, but that's how we are connecting with our grandkids. Because um, Obviously, we really miss them, but um, you know that that feature wasn't available twenty years ago when I went through a divorce. So yeah. you kind of in living in a small town, I just really felt like um, I was on my own without my friends. Yeah, and my you know my parents don't live close, so I, I have no no family here, <laughs> and I wasn't yeah. gonna you know weigh on you, my children. It sounds like you took that experience and and kind of took it and, and put it into your your book mm -hmm. at least that first book right yes and, uh, that you know, that part I was of noticing it noticing today I was I was looking through um your bio on your website and uh I was noticing that your first book came out in 2017 mm -hmm. and then wham jam like a year later you got your second book out there's no yes. stopping you and now you've got a third book this, yes so great the second book actually was my first book that I wrote. I've only I I just redid the whole thing. So during that time when I said I when I was 46, 47 and started doing all these, you know, running and writing for the magazine and stuff, um, I also had this book that I had written. I I thought you had to write. For Harlequin, I thought that was the only way to get pumped. I was so ignorant, you know. Again, I live in a town of less than a thousand people, and so I had written up this this book and I had sent it to him. And actually, what's what's interesting? So it's it's this Molly story, but the story was completely different. And when I sent it to them, I actually got a request from them. It was three weeks before my daughter's wedding, and I remember freaking out, thinking. Oh, not one more thing on my plate. Right. Um, but anyway, what ended up happening was they said, well, you don't have enough romance in here. You know, we need romance if you're going to write for Harlequin. And, and I think they had pointed out that they didn't kiss to like page 100 or something. Anyway, so I, I just put that, it, it was from so long ago that I, I typed it on a typewriter. Wow. Um, but I just put that aside. So when I had signed with the publisher, a lot of times they want at least two books. And she had asked me if I had an idea for a second book. And I, I knew that I wanted to resurrect Molly's story and I had a lot of ideas on how I would change it. So I had told her a little bit about that. And so I had a very, I mean, I basically started from scratch again, for one thing, because I didn't have it saved on a computer or anything. But I had, I had Molly moving from the Twin Cities to this general store, which was like the store that we had. So that part was very easy for me. And, um, but yes, I was on a deadline because they want you to have a book a year come out. I mean, that's what, that's what their goal is. Mm -hmm. And so again, I was working full time. I was promoting my first book, which really took off. Um, I had 
a lot of book club get togethers and, and library events. And so that was great, but I was so stressed out <laughs> and, you know, because I, I had this deadline to get this other book done, but it, it was a much easier book to write for me because I lived some of it, you know, like the story, I didn't have to research anything. I had lived that part of it and I lived and I've lived in a small town for years. And so it was easier for me to make up the events that they have and the quirky characters. And, mm -hmm. and uh, this, it was actually a fun book to write. And I, I really love it. The third book that I'm writing has taken longer because I've done a lot of research for it. I've um, researched the medical part, legal part, and uh, law enforcement part. I needed all of that. It's a psychological suspense. Oh, wow. So it's taken me longer. Plus, I'm retired now from my day job. And what I've realized, I'm very much a goal. You know, I get up and I have a list of 10 things to do. And I am not going to bed until I cross them off. But now that I'm retired, it's like, meh. I'll do this today, you know, and, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and I'm not under a book contract, so I don't have a deadline. Okay. Um, yeah. It's almost like you need the deadline, right? Although, you know, you've got all that research to do. So yeah. I imagine that throws a whole other. And, and it did. Yeah. yeah. It, it took a lot longer, but anyway, so I'm done. And now actually last week and this week, I just started submitting it to agents. So um, we'll see what happens. Good but luck. Thanks. Wow. Very cool. Very cool. Um, well, so thank you so much. I'm, I'm just here, here, before, before we wrap up, what did I want to ask you? If, if you were to give one piece of advice to somebody who is feeling stuck, um, whether they know what they want to do or whether they just feel stuck and don't know even where to start or what what's missing like what what would be a, one piece of advice that you would give somebody to to get out of that spot if let's say they know what they want to do but they so i'll use myself as an example with that list of mine um let's say they want to start running I'll use that as an example, but they feel stuck or overwhelmed. It's, it's that whole feeling. I, I think to go back to what I was saying of don't worry about failing because I think that's what makes us stuck. Mm -hmm. um, I'll use my third book as an example. I, when I was working on it, I wrote the beginning, no problem. I knew that I was getting to the point where I was going to have to do this research. And I don't know anything about the medical field. I don't know anything about law enforcement or the legal part. I, avoid, I, I stopped writing the book for several months because I thought, well, I don't know what to do now. I was, I, I was stuck. Mm -hmm. And another author friend said, well, I mean, I knew eventually I was going to have to do that research, but I wasn't moving forward at all. I wasn't doing anything with the book. And an author friend said, well, do you know how you want the book to end? I said, yep. Yeah. She goes, well, write that. You don't have to write it in chronological order. Mm -hmm. So that was freeing for me. I thought, okay, now I can write the end where I know I'm not going to need the research. 
and then I went back and you know took those steps to contact somebody I knew in the medical field, contact you know somebody. But it was me being stuck for a long time. Like I I know I have to do this next overwhelming to me that was very overwhelming mm -hmm. to ask these people that I didn't really know. First I had to ask like my personal doctor, okay, who what surgeon can I talk to? You know, and she was great about hooking me up, but you still feel like I felt like an idiot. Like I have to ask all these questions about a book I'm writing. Right. Um, but that, that author's advice to me was very helpful because I was sitting there with this book that I'd probably written the first 50 pages of, of the first draft. And then I did nothing with it because I was stuck. Mm -hmm. And I, so I'd say, you know, find a different way to move forward. It might not be the next step. It might be the fifth step. Like mm -hmm. she was telling me, if you, Hey, if you know how you want the ending, go ahead and write that. And then you can go back and deal with it. And then also just don't worry about failing. Don't worry about uh, people who write books. And, and even after the first book, you think every book would get easier, but it doesn't. Some, sometimes it gets harder because you have those expectations. But a lot of people really struggle with that first draft because it's going to be so awful. Mm -hmm. And so they don't do it or they start it and they don't finish it because it's so awful. You're going, oh, I can't believe I'm writing this awful crap. And what everybody says is you can't edit a blank page, mm -hmm. which is true. Go ahead and write that awful, awful first draft story. What they say is you're just telling yourself the story. Mm -hmm. And, and so I, I think as far as somebody that's stuck, if they know what their goal is, that's it. Just go ahead and fail at it. Don't, yeah. don't think that that first race you run is going to go well, or that first draft is going to, sound good it it probably isn't whatever it is that you want to try that you're afraid of go ahead and take that next step and just expect it to not go like you planned but at least you've done something i think for the advice for the people that don't even know like me sitting on my bed asking myself what do i want to do because i had no clue i hadn't had a chance to think about that since i was 19. Mm -hmm. i think it's sometimes okay to, for me the problem was what do I want to do to get my life unstuck? Not what does somebody else want me to do? So key, so key. Yes. Because I thought of the few things that I was able to do when I did have some freedom, a lot of times really were not things I wanted. It was maybe what my husband wanted to do. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's the key. If you're sitting there and you just feel like you're really stuck in your life, but you don't even know what you want to do, you need to block out what everybody else wants you to do, which is really hard when you have expectations from other people. But that was, it took me a long time to do that and to think, what does Jill want to do? Not does, not was, what did her ex-husband wanted to do? Not what do her kids wanted to do? Or even my friends, because like none, none of my friends run. They joke here and tell them that if they see somebody running in the winter, they know it's me. <laughs> in the summertime, the cabin people, you know, are running and stuff. But so it's not like I started running because a friend was running. They were, I have ran alone my, the last 15 years. Yeah. And a lot of times, you know, your, your family and friends, as well-meaning as they are and as much as they love you, they just may not understand what it is you really want. So you really do have to get down to what you want. I love 
just going back to that that question that you um, that got you started with your list, huge for me is mm -hmm. what could you do if you knew you couldn't fail? What would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? That's just like it's such a great way to define because it takes out all the oh you know no that I couldn't do that I mm -hmm. couldn't do that because of this and this and this and this no 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 get rid of all that stuff if you couldn't fail mm -hmm. what, what would you do yeah you know and it opens up so much possibility to yeah. look at it that way and and I always think also of the this one I do know Wayne Gretzky said you miss a hundred percent of the shots you never take yes that's another one I love because also so true well let's say you know <laughs> when I ran my first half marathon and I had my older brother was a runner and he's the one that pushed me to do it because I had only ran a 5k before that three a three mile race and he goes well you can do a half and I thought, I'm like are you kidding me that's 10 miles further but I remember what his advice to me was because you all have a chip in your shoe so it doesn't matter if you're the first person crossing the starting line or not because it's chip time he said you put yourself in the very back of the group it was a huge group it was an earth day run and he said that way you are not mm. watching people pass you right and you're running your own race you're running your own race yeah. and it was a wonderful piece of advice because i i started out i literally was the last person that crossed that starting line what smart advice yeah, yeah knowing that it didn't matter because otherwise you tend to see people passing you and you're you're trying to keep up and then you're you're running faster than your pace i yes. had to run my race oh my um, God. so important then they they say you know don't don't compare yourself to other people's social media feeds that's mm -hmm. that's their best of real you know like and and as you and i can imagine if you're running and you're seeing people passing you you don't know their story and all the work it took for them to get into that and all of a sudden you're in that or their age game. <laughs> their age right yeah they're half it's, my age well i can't keep up with them so important to run yeah. your own race yeah and and when you said you don't know their story this this goes back to that um very personal post i said i put on my author page the other day yesterday i was uptown and um a woman I know, but only in the last handful of years, thanked me for posting that. And she said, you don't know how many, well, I, I am finding out how many women that spoke to, because basically um, I've had a lot of people think, or not think, but we'll say like, oh, I seem like I have a really nice life right now, which, which I do, I'm very, very thankful for it. But I had this other life that was not good. Mm -hmm. And that, that's another thing that I point out in my first book, and you'll see that later on when um, they have a judgment box. Don't judge somebody else that's in the group. It, it was a wake-up call for me that we all have something, and that's kind of what that post was about for me, that it's so easy to look at other people and think they have it all or, mm -hmm. or their life is easy. Like when you were talking about the runners passing you by, and I would have no idea that runner that went past me might be a cancer survivor you know who knows but i think the older we get that's another thing that that i have learned at least that somebody may seem like they have it all and really they don't have it all they've had great tragedies 
Yeah, you know, there's a lot of that really glossy and wonderful on the outside and you never know what anybody's struggling with. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And, and I think until you struggle with something, you don't understand. Somewhere in the story, the Hell Club women, I call them for short, they say that um, one of their models is if you don't understand the need for the Hell Club, you just haven't lived long enough. <laughs> Basically, the attitude of if you don't understand why these women that have gone through tough times need each other, it's because you just haven't lived long enough to have something bad happen because it's going to happen. And, you know, nobody, nobody gets through life scot-free. Right. Um, and, and what's interesting about that is when I had my first, um, yes, I think it was my first book event. I had a lot of book events for this one. Um, the woman owns a coffee shop in a town nearby and she's in her mid 30, well, probably about my oldest daughter's age now. And I was surprised that she related to the book so much because at the time I thought, oh, you're too young. You know, she was like 35 when the book came out. Um, and I had the attitude of, oh, I can't believe she can relate to that club. She seems so young. Duh, Jill, bad things can happen at any time. You know, mm -hmm. there's not an age limit on it. But so I think that's a very important thing that's in that story of, of the whole accepting and, not and then the whole judgment box in there, which you'll see later. Um, and then the, the Crazy Little Town Called Love is my second book. And this character is actually introduced in the first book. There's three characters that are in both books, but this story actually takes place before that one. Um, but so this is based on the general store that we bought when I was 22 years old <laughs> and owned for 12 years. And, and this Molly grew up in the Twin Cities, just like I did. And she inherits the store, but she had never even been to this town of love. She doesn't know why she's her mother inherited it and then her mom passed away. So Molly gets it. But um, it's the, the basis behind here, kind of like the learning part that came from me was um, me thinking that when we first moved to this town, I thought, I am not going to stay in this little town. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a big city girl. And, and here I am 30, 38 years later. Wow. So this, I mean, you now are living where your parents moved you right after high school? No, my no. parents, okay. my parents live in a different town about two and a half hours from here. No, I am living in the town where my first husband and I bought a business in 1982 oh, when okay. I was 22. Yeah. Uh, and I'm still here in this little town that I thought, oh, I'll just stay here a little while and then we'll move on. But kind of the point to it is, is you never she had to open up her expectations of how her life was going to turn out mm -hmm. and it turned out completely different than what she thought she wanted and and i think that kind of goes back to what we're talking about of if somebody would have told me i'm six years old at 60 i would be writing my third book because again i didn't think i could do that be running these long races but more importantly that i'd be living in a small town um we we think how our life is going to turn out when we're young it's this box mm -hmm. and i think the older we get certainly after 40 after 50 um after 60 mm -hmm. we realize that no that box is how our life was when we were young 
and this is my body. We can create our own new box, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. And that's kind of what my, my motto on my business cards is. I write about strong women in tough situations because that's really what, what it is, is you give these women obstacles to overcome and they have to overcome them because nobody wants to read a book if, if it only gets worse for them <laughs> instead of better. And that's kind of like life. You know, we all overcome obstacles and it's up to us to make them better. Yep. And I think the older we are, the, the more we realize that, that, you know, I'm accountable for me. It's not, it goes back to that question you asked me of when somebody's stuck about their goals. What do you want to do? Yeah. What do you want you don't, your you life don't to be there? Whiz, whiz as long. You, don't, you can't always get what you want. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and I'm, I'm making it sound easy and that's not the case at all. No, but I think too, like. No matter what um, your goal is. Right. Part of it is just knowing that going for what you want, whether or not you get what you wanted in the beginning of the journey, I think the real gold is who you become in the effort to try to get there. Like, right. Yeah, you're not going to have a success for everything. Yeah. I, I don't know if it was you that I told, but my husband and I, when we were coming back from Florida a couple months ago, I saw this huge billboard and it said, um, confidence and ignorance are the keys to success. And it <laughs> stuck, it, I laughed, I stuck, it stuck with me because I thought, oh, I well, that, that definitely down. pertains to writing and, and my running. Mm -hmm. You have to have the confidence that you can do it, but you also have to have the ignorance to think it's going to be easy. Mm -hmm. it, it, those two examples are, it takes so much time, it takes so much hard work, and you can't give up. And so that's where the ignorance comes in. If I would have had any idea how hard it was to write a book, I would have never tried. If I would have had any idea how hard it was to go run, you know, several miles, I wouldn't have done. So it was a funny thing. And I thought, well, that is, and it doesn't matter what success story it goes to. You have to have the confidence that you can su succeed and the ignorance to try it because it's not going to be easy. Yeah. So I, I think that's a great model. Or yeah. whatever it is that somebody's going to I think one of the try. benefits of, of, of trying something new in middle age or later or whenever is um, maybe just knowing that you have grit. Yes. And because at a certain point you've seen yourself get through the things that you didn't know you could get through at the time. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well... I can do that. Maybe I can do this other thing. Right. You know? And I, I've seen so, so many people um, overcome amazing things. I mean, it's, it's easy for me to sit here and say, well, this is what worked for me, but I don't have physical injuries. You know, I don't have physical limitations. Mm -hmm. You think about how much, there's so many inspiring stories out there. Oh. People that have just been dealt awful, awful blows and they keep going. And sometimes they make it look easy. Well, it's, you know, it's not, yeah. you know, it's not easy, but that's how determined they are to do it. Um, so yeah. And everything, when I tell people that, um, you know, obviously you can't do everything. <laughs> I'm an awful singer. <laughs> so that would be like me saying, well, I think I'll go sing, you know, 
in a rock band now. They'd be going, no, that will never happen. My husband can attest to that. That will never happen. I mean, we all can't do everything we want to do. If that was my goal, that that probably would never happen. I don't think there's enough um, voice lessons for me for that. It really is about finding the thing that you- You can do. You can do yeah. and, and want to do. It's yes. like, it's that happy marrying of both, right? Yep. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be perfect. Nope. That is that I was just talking to a friend about that the other day. I am a recovering perfectionist and uh, me too. Um, the uh, there was a, a quote I came across, which was, um, oh, and I, I, I spaced it out when I was talking to him too. imperfect action is better than perfect inaction. And that is actually one of the quotes that got me going with this project is just just do it. Yes. Just well, the and whole I, idea of done is better than perfect. Yes. And I think a lot of this, um, a lot of the Zoom events that have been live on TV, you know, that millions of people are watching have been a great testament to that. Uh, like my husband was watching some country music thing a few weeks ago where each artist was doing a, a Zoom live performance from their home. And you know, they have a little kid coming in and, you know, trying to grab their guitar or, you know, whatever, or dog oh, barking. Yeah. and Trying to do this in the middle of this. My kids are in there. I can hear them making lunch. You're probably hearing it too. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not. But I, I was doing a live reading a few weeks ago for our library. And all of a sudden I hear my husband in the kitchen and I'm like, because <laughs> I'm, I'm live, you know, so the kids are hearing anyway. But the, the good thing about that is, is, it's kind of showing, well, this is just life, you know? I have a sister-in-law who's a psychologist, and so she's been seeing her patients from home, and, she, and her, kid, her teenage kids are home, and she has talked about that, all of the challenges of the dog barking in the background or whatever. And I said, that's, you're seeing it on, Nash, on national TV that it's happening to these stars, that's life. Yeah. And I think it lowers that expectation for us that things have to be perfect. It's mm -hmm. not going to be perfect. Yeah. And, and everybody's kind of seeing, oh, nobody's life is perfect. Everybody has barking dogs and kids making noise and, you know. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it does look, the thing that lowered it for me was when I went from having, um, being a divorced mom with two teenage daughters where our house hardly ever got dirty to all of a sudden, five teenagers at home. And then when we start having grandkids, because we have 16 grandkids. Wow. Um, so, I mean, you should see our house looks like a bomb hit it when everybody's home after the first 10 minutes. And it took me a while to let that go, to realize, okay, the house will be clean when they leave. Uh -huh. But that it was that perfectionist. It took me a while to get there of, it is going to get dirty and that's okay. You know, Mm -hmm. because I'd rather have the people here than a clean house. That's what I had to remind myself of. Right. What's more important to me? The people. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you kind of lose that perfectionist yeah. after a while. Spot on, spot on. Oh, on that note, thank you. Um, so where can people find you if they're looking for information on you, information on your books? Um, I would like to say my website. <laughs> My website has links to everything, but uh, so my website is just basically jillhannahanderson.com. I uh, am on Facebook a lot. Same thing, Jill Hannah Anderson. 
and I'm on Instagram and Twitter. Um, and I think I gave you the links for all them. I, I don't know offhand what they are, but they would, if you post them, otherwise they'll be able to find me just. Perfect. My name. I will post everything. Yeah. My books are on Amazon. Um, or they can request them from a library or a bookstore. Mm -hmm. uh, I ended up getting the, uh, the Kindle reader version. So, okay. Uh, yep. 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 And the first book they have an audio version of the se the second book they don't yet. Oh, okay. Good to know. And then we'll see what happens with my third book. I'm excited for you. Very yep. cool. Very cool. And so then you've I've, gone, you finished the editing process. I think the last yes. one posted that it was in edit. So so the edits yep. are done and now you're just shopping it out. Yes. Awesome. Yep. Good luck. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. And I have a book idea for two more adult psychological fictions, I've got ideas for them. And then I also have some children's books that I want to try writing. And again, the word try, I mean, I'll write them and if, and we'll see how, if they get published or not, but yeah. Go girl. not going to work if I don't try it. That's it. That's it. That's awesome. Oh, I'm, I'm so, so, so glad we got to talk. Thank you. Thank you. Me too, Yvonne. It was so nice to chat with you in person, Yeah. kind of in person, kind of in person. Exactly. Yeah. The closest thing we can get right now. That's right. So there you have it. I think what I love most about Jill's story is how absolutely normal she is. She's so down to earth and she makes me feel like I could write a damn book if I wanted to, which I don't, but I mean, I guess what I mean is she just started doing the things she wanted to do. She started small and built her way up both with her running and with her writing. And I think there's so much for all of us to learn in how she just started taking small steps towards her goals. And now she's written three books. Amazing. Um, so here are her hashtags again, just to review. Never too old, never too late, never give up, dream big, work hard. Thank you so much for listening. Oh, and before I go, uh, next week, I'm talking to Kirsten Bunch. She's a coach who helps mid-career professionals reinvent their careers by providing coaching, of course, and workshops for people who want to design a future that lights them up. By the way, if you enjoyed this, please leave a review or share it with a friend. I would love for this to get out to as many people as possible so they can get the inspiration they may be needing right now. Don't be a hoarder. Share the love, baby. I hope you have a fantastic week. Talk soon. Bye-bye.